Hey guys, and welcome to another episode for the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign podcast. And before we get started on today's show, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that has really given you full support in getting behind this campaign to make it what it is today. If you've been here from the start, guys, I mean, essentially, we're still in its infancy of six months, but to have taken it to America, being featured on Channel 7, Channel 9, SBS, Sky News, over the press and got some amazing bloggers out there to be writing incredible things about the campaign and how it's really touched people in breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. I mean, essentially, that is what the main aim is. If we can just touch and help one person to seek the help of a professional, that's the end result. For those of you who have been sending in messages through the socials about where you can find these episodes that we are doing through the podcast, simply head over to the iHeartRadio website, search for the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign podcast, where you'll be able to subscribe to the channel and download all your latest episodes. Now, guys, I just want to touch upon today, again, everything that I'm trying to portray and perceive through this campaign is all derived towards being educational. So yes, we have some incredible advocates on the campaign who are sharing their stories, but we really essentially want to take it towards an educational point so that people know what to do and people know where to be directed if they do need the help. All right, guys, so without further ado, we've got Dr. John Cassanathan in studio and Dr. Emanuela Murray. Hi, Gwen. Uh, how are you going, guys? Good. 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 Well, thank you for your time today, and we're going to be talking and delving a little bit more about your profession. So maybe let's start off with you both telling us a little bit about what you do. So we'll start with you, Dr. Emanuela. Great. Well, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I work with children, adolescents, adults, and couples. Yeah, and I'm in private practice. Uh, and I'm a uh, consultant psychiatrist. Um, I'm, a, I'm formally trained in forensic psychiatry and child psychiatry, and I work with children, adolescents, adults. I don't work with couples, can't stand them. <laughs> and uh, I, I work in both public and private practice. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. So the reason that I've asked you in today, um, thank you for your time again. Um, so we're going to touch on, I know you're both huge advocates towards mental health, mm-hmm. um, and today's topic, we're going to talk about depression. So yeah. in your words as both professionals, what exactly is depression? Sure, look, Glenn, look, we feel sad and down and flat from time to time, don't we? And I liken that to a bit more like a depressed mood. So it's normally due to being disappointed, you know, when things don't go our way, life's hassles and pains, and sometimes we might experience a bit of a loss. But what with that, it normally kind of resolves within a few hours or a few days, and we can kind of pick ourselves up pretty quickly. You know, we might talk to a friend, or we might even do something pleasurable, or sometimes we'll just sit with that feeling and it resolves. But depression is very different. Depression is when people feel this way most of the time for many days and weeks, months, years, and it can be long-term. And it interferes with how people think, feel, and behave. So people often feel quite hopeless. They feel like their problems are insurmountable and they'll, they'll be there forever. And that can lead them to feel a little bit helpless. You know, they kind of feel a bit out of control. They feel like they can't solve their problems. Sometimes people feel a bit of guilt or even worthlessness. So they feel like they're defective in some way. So they think, oh gosh, you know, maybe this is due to me. I'm incompetent or I'm lazy. Then we find, John, sometimes that, you know, people lack interest or even motivation in pleasurable activities, you know, things they really used to enjoy, even work, even socialising, even just engaging in a daily task like doing chores can be difficult. 
And John and I obviously look out for a lot of eating and sleeping difficulties and people often will have difficulties making decisions. And even just getting out of bed in the morning can be really difficult. We can also see changes in health as well as even in relationships. So it's really agonising. You know, this isn't easy. And depending on the type of depression and the severity, and John's going to talk about that, sometimes people actually do self-harm. And sometimes people have suicidal thoughts. They can also sometimes have attempts at taking their life. And sometimes they do take their life. So people are grappling with whether to, they want to live or die. And that's why it's hard for John and I when we hear people say, oh, oh, you're depressed, all right, well, go on, get yourself up, come on, we all get depressed, get over it, we'll move on. It's hard enough for people when they're feeling that way and they're also feeling you know, scared, lonely, a burden to others. Sometimes they can even feel shame because they think they shouldn't be feeling this way or why aren't I getting any better to have people make those comments because it can stop them from accessing help or, or talking to people. And that's why we need a campaign like this because we want to reduce stigma and stigma is caused by two things. You know, it's caused by discrimination and also misinformation. And that's why it's important we create awareness and, and we also educate. Yeah? Absolutely. And I think the one uh, really important aspects of this are that depression is really common. Mm. Um, it's one of the most common disorders that affects humankind worldwide, not just in Australia, US or UK, mm. I'm talking worldwide. Mm. It is a leading cause of suffering. It's also a leading cause of, of death, mm. in, particularly in young people in Australia, in the UK, in the US, in, in Singapore, you name any nation, mm. one of the leading causes of death in young people is suicide. And one of the major drivers for that is poorly treated or not untreated mm. uh, depression. Yeah. Um, so, in, in, in fact, in Australia, from age 15 to 40, the, the leading cause of death is suicide. Um, that's also the same in the UK. It's the same in a lot of uh, developing and developed Asian countries, for example. If the US has a problem with guns. I can say that because I'm Australian. Uh, so, you know, the yeah. US does have a problem with gun violence, yeah. and that is the, their leading cause of death yeah. for youth from, you know, 15 to age 40. Mm -hmm. But when you take gun violence out of it in the US, mm -hmm. The leading cause of death for for youth is still suicide. Mm. Wow! So this is a major health problem. It's a major problem for humanity, and that's why I agree with Emmanuel. As health professionals, we're passionate mm. about getting awareness out there and getting people, uh, letting people know it's okay to be treated because mm. treatment is crucial. Yeah. And going towards depression, is is it the same for everyone? I mean. Are there different types and what actually causes depression in someone? Uh, well, I mean, look, there are different types of depression. I mean, one of the most common ways to uh, that doctors, uh, both psychiatrists and psychologists, classify depression is according to severity. So um, Emmanuel very eloquently listed the different symptoms of depression, mm -hmm. um, all those different features of depression. When people have more of them, then the severity is, is worse uh, or, or, or more severe. Uh, so it's generally classified as mild, moderate to severe. Generally, if people are feeling uh, uh, significant thoughts of suicide, that would be classified as severe depression. Uh, and when there's a lot of symptoms, it would be classified as moderate. 
Um, the core features of depression, as Emmanuel touched on, mm. are both depressed mood and a loss of pleasure and enjoyment. Those are the core features. Mm. Um, interestingly, in under-18s, because the brain is still de developing, mm. part of the brain that's um, describing and naming emotions is still developing. Mm. That's called the prefrontal cortex and parts of the frontal lobe of the brain. Because they're still developing, um, at, when we work clinically, we allow that the depressed mood can actually be irritable or angry mood. Uh, so those are the core features of depression. And then the more symptoms people have, the more severe it is. Mm. There are other types of depression too. There is a particular weighting of physical symptoms with depression, like so feeling physically slowed down, or on the other hand, feeling physically agitated. Mm. Um, that, that's a particular type of depression called melancholic depression. Mm. That's important because we mm. know that with people that have melancholic depression, uh, medication has a significant role in helping them. Mm. Um, whereas with non-melancholic depression, without those physical symptoms, we know that psychological treatments mm. will be the thing to try mm. first. Uh, whereas if there's quite significant um, uh, melancholic depression or if there's severity there, um, medication will be needed as well. So everyone mm. should be offered psychological treatment. Mm. But if that doesn't work or if it's severe enough and not getting better, then medications come into it. Yeah, and so, I agree with you exactly with what you were saying. We see a lot of that slowing down of physical movements and thinking with the melancholic features. And like you said, the medication is so important for that type of depression because it can help improve mood. And what the psychological therapy can do is also help improve mood. But if, if people's mood isn't improving to begin with, they're not likely to be able to engage with mm. psychological therapies. So that's why the medication is so important. Absolutely, which is actually, I mean, Emmanuel happens, sorry, Dr. Emmanuel, that happens to be someone <laughs> that I, I work with uh, quite closely in private practice, even yeah. though I hardly ever see her. Yeah. Uh, because I might see patients and um, they've come to me because they've, they, the CBT or, or psychological therapy hasn't mm. worked so yet, mm. and they start mm. them on medication treatments, they start getting better. Mm. And actually, that's the great that's the great opportunity at that time to, to introduce back um, you know, probably behavioural therapy or psychological yeah. therapy, mm. and then I send them to the doctor and to, <laughs> to fix them up properly. Oh. Uh, well, and, I just think it further helps their mood, doesn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, with cognitive behavioural therapy, for, for those who don't know much about it, can you just give me a quick rundown oh. of what that That would be means. like a whole other podcast, but oh, it's okay. the link between <laughs> your thoughts. Yours. Yours. <laughs> <laughs> CBT is one therapy yeah. that's used. It's most well known and it's, you know, it's evidence-based. So it really is about the link between your thoughts, feelings and behaviours because right. our thoughts really control a lot of what we do. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a great therapy. It works well and it works well in combination with medication depending on the type of depression. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to throw it to the campaign. Um, so a lot of people have come up with... So when people are depressed... Oftentimes, they're, uh, we don't know because they don't look unhappy. And people on the campaign, they've all come out with a similar thing, especially being in the public eye, that they describe it as putting on a mask or a brave face. Mm. Um, and I was shooting, shooting somebody today for the campaign who literally said people expect them to be on mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. So with this in mind, how are we then to know or determine if somebody is actually struggling or going through depression? 
Well, I mean, John, we look for it all the time. We're looking for changes that are not wanted. You know, that's a message I want to get out there to everybody when we're looking at loved ones. You know, the friend that normally socialising suddenly doesn't. The child who likes playing with their cousins and suddenly doesn't want to. Or it could be a family member that's irritable, Mm. withdrawn, like an adolescent, who's spending a lot of time in their own. Or a parent. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And then we're looking at sleeping, eating and libido changes. So we're looking for changes that aren't wanted and that gives us a sign that maybe we need to slip in some support a little bit sooner because you're right people can hide how they feel and this makes it really tricky especially with the milder form of depression Mm. because people miss those symptoms because they're still able to engage with lots of things that they're doing but they're still feeling low. The the facade point is is a very important one Mm -hmm. because uh, particularly those that are used to either the public eye or in professions where it is a lot about impression mm. management, mm. are very good at modifying their emotional expression mm. and the way they present. Yeah. Um, so for, for friends and families of those individuals, if they're worried about them, it's important that they have the type of relationship where they can actually ask, are you okay? Mm. And obviously you wouldn't do that in front of everybody else that, yeah. that might be in their sphere, mm. but rather getting them when they're, um, alone and ask them, are you really okay? Because it's those um, authentic moments of vulnerability that offer a great opportunity to intervene where something is going in, in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, if the tragedy is if no one asks, mm-hmm. then we don't find out mm-hmm. and people don't get support in getting help. Mm. Most people that come to see me in my private rooms and in my public work are there because family have been concerned and are bringing them there, or friends, partners, children, parents. They're bringing them to help. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they come off their own choice and own kind of motivation, Mm -hmm. but that wouldn't be everybody. No. How about you? No, absolutely, I agree. And our loved ones are the expert on Um, our loved ones. So, you know, they know exactly what they're like in their everyday life. And we do. We need to check in with people. We need to slip in the support. And another thing I find, John, with a lot of people that I see, they might say, you know, I did try and tell someone how I was feeling, but I was met with, oh, well, no, I'm not a professional. You better go and see someone. And what we skip is the empathy part. And Mm -hmm. we've talked about this before. You know, you don't have to be going through something to be there for someone. We need to be listening. We need to use our beautiful listening ears for the people that we love because we can imagine what it's like for them, but we don't necessarily have to be going through it. And sometimes if we charge the point of problem solving or saying, oh, no, you better go and see this person, people feel quite brushed off. They feel like they shouldn't have asked. And sometimes they can feel embarrassed and that will stop them from saying anything again. So you can keep in the back of your mind, okay, if I'm worried about a loved one, you might slip in later down the track, you know, sometimes when people feel this way, they, um, it might be helpful to talk to someone. How do you feel about it? How are you, you, how do you think? Because, you know, people are feeling pretty helpless already yeah. and they don't need people to problem solve for them. Mm. They need support. Yeah. 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 And, John, we only touched on the melancholic depression. Mm. Maybe we could touch on just some of the other depressive sure. disorders as well. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Because um, I think 
they're important too, yeah, aren't sure. they? So, so we, we have um, other types of depression that mm. are getting more on the serious end, and mm. they're, they're associated with a greater risk of suicide. So particular, yeah. particularly major depression with psychotic features. Mm. That's when uh, people lose touch with reality. So they may hear things that are not actually happening, mm. or believe things that mm. are not real. Um, and that, that increases them of, of doing either risky things mm. or putting themselves or other people in danger. Yeah. There is a proportion of uh, people that will experience depression that will go on to have a specific type of depression called bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. right. With bipolar disorder, the downs look like the clinical depression that we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes they tend to more commonly have melancholic depression mm -hmm. when they're down, so they tend to have the more physical slowing mm -hmm. or, or agitation. Um, sometimes they can get psychotic depression, mm -hmm. but then they um, can alternate between depressive periods for being um, quite elevated and high for, for weeks, um, which uh, results in other damaging things. Of yeah. course, they feel fantastic, they feel euphoric, they spend yeah. lots of money, have lots of sex, they do risky stuff, um, and what else they do? They, they spend. Yeah, no, no, I mean, like you said, it, it's like they're self-medicating in some ways, yes. especially mm -hmm. even with alcohol and drugs. I find people can be very anxious too, and like we said, when you self-medicate, people are really wanting to change how they feel. Mm. They're feeling so distressed, but yeah. they're kind of using those ways to cope. And that's why it's really important that we are able to assess the underlying cause of the depression too, isn't it? Yeah, so absolutely. So we can really tailor the treatment. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that, that, that's mm. a key message mm. is um, sometimes people might wonder, well, what, why is it important to know exactly what type of depression mm. you know, a person might have? Yeah. The reason is that when you get an accurate diagnosis, you can get accurate treatments. That's so it. we know that there are certain treatments that work really well mm. for melancholic depression. There are different treatments that work really well for psychotic depression. Mm. There are other treatments that work really well for bipolar disorder. Mm. And sometimes the same treatment that you might give someone with a clinical depression just like just um, a major depression that we were talking about earlier. Mm. If you give an antidepressant to that person and they actually have bipolar disorder, you, you end up turning them manic, right. which, isn't, yeah. which isn't a good thing wow. to do. No. Yeah. So um, that's why getting the diagnosis right yeah. is really important. And the other thing is that diagnosis uh, becomes clearer over time. Yeah. And, this is and that would be, sorry to interrupt, early yeah. intervention. If you notice these symptoms, it's always better to take your loved one or, or yourself Earlier possible because you say there's different types. Can these be interlinked? Like you could start with one and it develop further yes. and increase. Well, a good example is bipolar disorder. Mm. Right. So mm. the majority of young people that experience bipolar disorder or develop bipolar disorder, their first mm. episode is a depressive episode. It's right. not. It's not a manic episode. Right. But to diagnose bipolar disorder, you have to have had a manic episode. Oh. So oftentimes they have major depression first. Mm. And they're treated as that, and then later on it becomes evident that they actually have bipolar disorder. So diagnosis also changes through yeah. the lifetime and the life course. So we're forever formulating, aren't we? That, that's yeah. true. The more we get to know people. Yeah. I mean, the people that really experience this a lot are paediatricians and child psychiatrists. Yeah. We're seeing people quite young. Yeah. And, you know, it's really difficult to be absolutely sure what mm. is going to happen as this person grows up. Yeah. All you can do is get all the information you have available to you and make That's the right. best diagnosis you can at the time and treat in the best possible way at the time. Yeah, exactly what you said, to tailor the treatment because, you know, one size does not fit all. Yeah. yeah. And it's really important. And there's lots of factors that could lead to depression too aren't there. So, you know, I mean, there are psychological factors, personality yeah. and temperament, isn't That's it? Right. And also... 
what's actually modelled to us? You know, we learn to think in certain ways by watching others and how they respond to negative experiences mm-hmm. as well as life experiences. And then we've got stressful life events, you know, a breakup, a loss. Sometimes people have multiple stresses. Then there's so psychosocial where we tend to have people tend to have a lack of social support or even are quite isolated and other things like a family history of conflict, alcohol use, loss mm. and abuse. And then there's also biological, isn't it, John? Yeah, I mean, the biological factors are important to mm. be aware of, mm. um, which is always uh, the reason why um, in the treatment of depressive disorders uh, it's useful to have a general practitioner or family physician mm. involved in, in a person's care. Um, because we know that there are certain medical conditions that can actually present with depression. Yeah. The classic one is an underactive thyroid or hypothyroidism, mm-hmm. but other conditions too uh, can mm-hmm. present with depression and um, other psychiatric syndromes. So, for example, epilepsy, um, thyroid dysfunction is one that comes up a lot. Other endocrine disorders can too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, sorry. No, like you said, there's so much information, yes. isn't there, John? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes people will, will get sent to see me and they haven't had any blood tests and they've got a really bad depression. Yeah. And it's clear they've got a depression. But the thing is, when I see them, no one's taken any blood tests yeah. to work out whether their thyroid function mm. is okay or their electrolytes are okay. I mean, it's not everybody that will have... Yeah. a medical problem causing depression mm-hmm. but one in a hundred for young people mm-hmm. it's, it's about what will be related yeah. to a, a medical condition where the treatment is very specific mm-hmm. so, mm. so for an underactive thyroid it's thyroid uh, uh, thyroxine which is a medication that basically increases thyro- uh, the thyroid but i think we touched it on on another episode so mm-hmm. both with Paul de Gelder, he was a Navy clearance diver, shark attack survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he actually got his bloods done, he went through depression and all that. It turned out he was deficient in vitamin, I think it was <coughs> vitamin D or something. Yes. And Marnie Kennedy, actress, mm-hmm. turns out when her agent and her mother intervened with her, they noticed the changes in her. Mm-hmm. They took her and they had blood tests and she was actually deficient in, um, I think it was sleep apnea or something like that. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are all contributors then? Mm-hmm. That are. seems to be a common case. Yeah. They are. I mean, look, uh, the vi- vitamin D deficiency is interestingly mm-hmm. quite common mm-hmm. in, in Australia. We, we do the slip flop <laughs> yeah. message a bit too well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if, for those with kids, you know, when you send yeah. your kids into daycare, they have to, they're almost covered head to toe <laughs> yeah. with hats and, and sunscreen. Um, so, w- one of the problems with that is we probably run a bit on uh, lower vitamin D in Australia, mm-hmm. which does increase the risk yeah. of depression in a population basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, it's always good to get those checked and even better to take, you know, eat, eat healthier and take yeah. supplements. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, just, just based off that, is it always good to go and get some bloods done just so if you are feeling a little bit different? It's always good to have a general practitioner or primary care physician yeah. involved in the care of someone who's got depression, whatever severity we're talking about, yeah. even if it's mild. Because mm-hmm. with mild depression, you wouldn't necessarily look at medications. No. It would be looking at psychological yeah. support. Exactly. But yes, the blood test might actually pick up. It, you, the person might be deficient in vitamin B12, mm-hmm. which, right. is, which is a really important vitamin that's uh, obtained from meat, eggs, and and um, things that, you know, vegans don't have very yeah. much on. <laughs> you go, vegans don't have. But, you know, as, uh, yeah. as, you know, people's dietary mm. restrict, yeah. uh, not restrictions, but di- dietary styles mm. develop in society, they're at more risk of certain uh, vitamin deficiencies 
than other people. Mm. Yeah. And, so, and that actually high. raises the risk of them having um, depression as a result of vitamin deficiency. Yeah. So how is depression treated then? I know we've touched on it a little bit, but if, if we go into a little bit more detail, so there's anyone out there obviously listening and, sure. and not knowing well, much? I mean, there are, there are different types of therapies. Like we said before, CBT is the most well-known in terms of a psychological therapy. We know that, you know, thoughts can stop us from doing so many things. So that's why when even with your work, John, the same, we look at what we can change behaviourally because even when people are depressed, you know, we need to help them change certain behaviours, whether it be how they're eating, sleeping, exercising, are they engaging in activities that give them a sense of achievement, mastery, and are they surrounding themselves with supports? Because we know we've got so much evidence worldwide to show that these things can lift mood and influence our thoughts. And what I mean by that, it disrupts the negative cognitions that tend to maintain depression. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got medications, which yes. are a huge role. And medications can be quite crucial in the treatment mm. of depression, mm. particularly where there's been an inadequate response to psychological therapy, mm. or if a person is experiencing such severe depression, they feel so depressed it's almost impossible for them to reframe cognitively what mm. Emmanuel is trying mm. to suggest there. Yeah. So all the things that Emmanuel has said are perfect, as, as, as usual. Imperfectly <laughs> <laughs> perfect. That's right. So th th those are absolutely yeah. appropriate, but mm. the problem is the person might not be able to do it that's right. uh, yeah. because they're just so uh, depressed. Mm. So the most common medication that's used for the treatment of depression uh, is a class of medications called serotonin reuptake inhibitors or selective mm. serotonin reuptake inhibitors. The, in the, the first letter of each word is SSRI. Mm. Um, the most common one that people would know probably would be Prozac. Mm which is a brand name from, from the States and in Australia. Um, it's, its generic name is fluoxetine. There are others that are, that are very similar, and they've been shown to be quite effective for moderate to severe major depression. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the starting dose of medications needs to be adjusted. So often doctors start on very low doses because we don't want to cause any side effects. The most common side effects for SSRIs are headaches and nausea and tummy upset. You actually have a lot of serotonin in your intestines. Right. So there's a lot of serotonin receptors there. So um, people feel a bit queasy mm -hmm. first few doses generally. Generally, that's mild and pretty transient. Mm -hmm. um, young people are very good at metabolizing medications mm -hmm. because the, the main organ that's responsible for breaking down medications is the liver. Mm -hmm. And their livers haven't been through the years of hard living. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some yeah. listening to this podcast <laughs> might have been through so, um, uh, you know, they're actually quite agile. So, because yeah. uh, I, I treat a lot of children and adolescents, and sometimes the parents quite quite rightly say, well, hang on a second, you're, you're increasing this medication to a dose that seems yeah. larger than, and I say, absolutely, if if, if, your, if your child was a 60-year-old woman, I would not be treating them yeah. with this dose. Yeah. Yeah. But because their liver is smashing it, you know, yeah. they're, they're basically, the first, they swallow their medication, it gets goes down their food pump, goes to their stomach, gets absorbed through their intestine, goes, the first place it goes to is not the bloodstream, it goes to their liver. Yeah. And it chops half of it. Yeah. And so, you know, by the time it gets to their brain, it's at a much lower concentration yeah. and, and amount. So um, that's just to reassure people out there that, that you know, doctors <laughs> do know what they're doing and yeah. they are thinking about all this. Absolutely. <laughs> much involved isn't there and John I think we also find that unfortunately sometimes people are judged for taking oh, medication yes, this is terrible, yeah. yeah this is huge and you know I really think that 
sometimes people, or what I hear is people say, oh, no, I don't want you to take that medication. Why are you taking it? And these are loved ones, and don't get me wrong, I'm not having a go. I'm sure we've got good intentions. You can have a go. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, people can be very free with their opinions from time to Mm. time. And this is one of those times where I think if someone's made a decision with their general practitioner, their GP or their psychiatrist to to take medication, then we need to support them. Mm. Because it's hard enough making a decision when you're feeling depressed. And if you're making a considered decision with your doctor to take medication and it's a decision that's good for you, we need to support and we need to cheerlead them. You do not have to agree. We don't have to agree with decisions our friends or loved ones make, Mm. but we do need to support. So I think it's really, really important that we get behind people if they choose to take medication, especially because we know that people do need it. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, some of the biggest myths out there that my patients have told me that their loved ones and friends have said are that the the medication is addictive. Um, It's like there are addictive you know, substances out yeah. there, uh, so opiate drugs are addictive, uh, benzodiazepines, which are, which are hypnotics, are addictive. But generally the treatment of depression does not involve any of those yeah. things. These are not addictive medications. They're not substances of abuse. Um, and, you know, they're there to help people. And they're, they're actually, they actually save lives. I mean, yeah. just as psychological therapy saves lives, mm-hmm. um, medications actually save lives in, in this space. Yeah, that's really important. That's a really good message to get out there. We need to support people when they make that decision. And I mean, the main thing, obviously, about this campaign is I've been working with yourself closely on Mm -hmm. the education side of Mm -hmm. things. For anyone listening out there, if you yourself are actually experiencing or maybe struggling, Mm -hmm. what can you do? Well, just what John said before, you know, turning to your GP, you know, getting a good GP on board, whether it be word of mouth, a family GP, because they can rule out anything medical that might be going on. Mm. And they're really good because then they might refer to a psychologist or a mental health service, a psychiatrist, mm. and um, people can get the help that they need. Yeah. So I think that's really important. Also, avoiding Dr. Google. I always put that out there. <laughs> yes. because I don't know, do you find that enough, John? <laughs> Dr. Google. Mm. Oh, boy. There's some useful useful stuff out there, particularly in Australia, you know, the Black Dog Institute, Beyond Blue and Lifeline, but boys, there's some dodgy stuff. I I think the best people to ask about internet resources are clinicians themselves. So talk to your your general practitioner, talk to your psychologist, talk to your psychiatrist about good resources Mm. because they will be aware of the ones that have a good evidence base. So mm-hmm. actually some really, there is some really good stuff out, out there, but as I mean, yeah. pointed out, there's some terrible stuff out there. Yeah. Now there's some stuff that's uh, got a clear agenda, that's you know, anti-medication and anti-psychiatry mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. And um, it's sad because it, it leads people away from getting the help they need. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we don't want. So I'd say then on the flip side, what's the worst thing if you're experiencing this or you're struggling to do? Close yourself off or... Blame if you yourself. haven't got that support yeah. network. The worst blame thing would be to blame yeah. yourself yeah. and yeah. say that this is my fault mm. and that I caused this. Yeah. Those would be the things not to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, if, and if people remember one thing from this podcast, it would be that depression is treatable. That's right. It is common, it is treatable, and treatment is life-saving. Absolutely. And we want people to stay connected. You know, even if they don't feel like talking to anyone right now, surround yourself with people so there's an opportunity to talk to someone when you're ready. And I think we was mentioning this earlier day, I'll just mm-hmm. touch on it. The 
when they have the mental health awareness days and months and things like that. I think for somebody who may be experiencing it, it could be daunting for so many people to be asking all at once on one day. So, yes, like... So many people commenting on that, how overwhelming it is for them, and I give them so much empathy. Like, it's incredible that they do this, but essentially you want to spread that out throughout, because people who are going through it, experiencing it, Mm. I don't... If I was going through it at the time, I wouldn't want 20 people asking me the same thing. So what kind of feedback have you got from people that... Do they close themselves off more, would you say, when there's so many people on one day asking all the money? put up the facade if they could be... So they'll put the them up, en- yeah. If they've got the energy to put right. up a facade, they'll put up the facade and give a pattern response. Mm-hmm. Right. Like just a, you know, a one-liner. So then essentially you're never going to get to the root of the problem and then help yeah. because, yeah. Right. But, I mean, you're right, it's great, but we need to create awareness and keep educating because that's how we're really going to get the messages out there. And like you said, I mean, John, you know, it takes incredible strength to pretend. Mm -hmm. You've you've got to have that strength to do so. And we want people to know that um, we want to hear what's happening for them and we don't want them to be pretending. We want to know what's happening. So I'd say then, just to wrap it up, because I know you two guys are are busy, um, what would you say are the top factors to do, signs or symptoms? If you're struggling, we'll just reiterate it. Um, just so anyone listening out there, just recap. Yeah. So, so feeling persistently yeah. sad or depressed for longer than, than two weeks, losing enjoyment or pleasure in things that used to derive pleasure, sleep disturbance, uh, loss of concentration, um, uh, loss of sex drive, particularly yeah. for guys, depressed mood and loss of sex drive in guys equals... <laughs> Great. Well, um, I just want to thank you both for your time today. Um, I mean, essentially this campaign is all about educating and getting the right message out there. So mm-hmm. to have a psychiatrist and psychologist on board um, has been amazing. So as I say, I just want to thank you both for your time. Thank, um, you. thank you for tuning in, guys. To find this episode, simply head to the iHeartRadio website. Simply subscribe to the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, and you'll be able to listen and download all the latest episodes. Until then, thank you.